Today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. There's a lot of people in our churches today trying to live a holy life and they have no means to do it because they don't have the very source of holiness, the Holy Spirit within them because they're trusting in some past aisle they walked or hand they raised calling themselves a believer and they've struggled with sin ever since that point but they've learned Christianity well enough to kind of fit in with everybody make your election sure Jesus said very clearly if you love me you'll do the things that I ask you to do Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Hi there, and welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. We're back in Romans as we continue with our series, What is Your Mind Set On? How do you get your mind set on Christ? It's right out of the book of Romans. We would invite you to join us. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. There's four important truths here that I want to share with you this morning concerning Holiness. We don't hear much about holiness anymore. First of all, holiness is justification's goal. God declares you righteous so that you would be holy. We could also say since Jesus died to save us from and not merely in our sins, that the purpose of Jesus' incarnation and death was that all who are saved by him might live holy lives. When God sent his son in the likeness of sinful man, the Bible says, which refers to his incarnation, he sent him to be a sin offering. That refers to Christ's death. And so the incarnation and the death of Christ were the requirements of the law. And it might be fully met in Christians. John Stott says this, God condemned sin in Christ so that holiness might appear in us. We have the same idea in Ephesians. We're told that God has literally ordained or appointed us to what? Good works. Ephesians is a wonderful book of the Bible. If you're struggling with your identity in Christ, I encourage you to read the book of Ephesians. Take chapter 1 and read it every day for a week. And then... Chapter 2, the second week. And chapter 3, the third week. And by the time you get to chapter 4, hopefully you understand who you are in Christ. And after you understand who you are in Christ, then you can get to chapter 4 and figure out what God wants you to do. See, our, our salvation is by the work of Christ. It's apart from any human merit. But the end is good works. The end of our salvation should equal good works. He saved us by grace so that we might be gracious in how we treat other people, so that we can live a life that's honoring to him. So holiness is justification's goal. Secondly, holiness consists in fulfilling the law's just demands. See, there's two errors that we need to avoid here. One is the error of the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought of themselves as being perfect fulfillers of the law. They thought somehow they were just the people that kept the law perfectly. The law said tithe, so they tithed. They tithed not only their money, but their goods, even down to their spices on the shelves. The law said keep the Sabbath, so they kept the Sabbath. They wouldn't even lift a finger to do even the smallest thing. It might be misunderstood as work on the Sabbath. 
Yet the Pharisees were not righteous. They were self-righteous. Many people were filled with pride, even to the point of hating those who weren't like themselves. And their worst hatred was for Jesus. Because, as he did so many times, his righteousness exposed their sin. Do you know that some of the most critical things Jesus ever said were about these religious people of his day? About their hypocrisy? The other error is just the opposite. It's a characteristic error of our time, I would say. The error of, Danny spoke to this, hedonistic, antinomian behavior. This view kind of says, well, what does it really matter? You know, it's not the law, but what I feel in my heart. So even if the law of God says that something is wrong, as long as I feel it's okay, it must be okay. Or at least it's okay for me if I'm not hurting anybody else. And besides, Jesus died for my sins, so we don't really need to get into the law stuff. It's the response made by a lot of moral demands put on people today, many of whom want to be Christians or considered Christians who are really not. So the answer is in the word when it tells us to live according to. And the word of God says that Basically, we need to walk in a certain way, a certain way that portrays a Christian. Christian life is a path along which we walk, following Jesus Christ. That's why we're called Christians. We're we're little Christ. We're followers of Christ. The path has a direction. The path has boundaries. When you breach those, you're in trouble. Something's wrong. The direction we're heading in is the character of God which is expressed in God's law, but we fully see in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We must not wave from that path. If we do, we are not following after Christ. Can Christians sin? Sure, we all sin. But you know what? There's a big difference between stumbling on the path and literally jumping off the path and going your own way. Those who are on the path may fall, They may stumble, but they're still following after Jesus Christ. Thirdly, holiness is the work of the Holy Spirit. This isn't something you manufacture. It's not something you wake up in the morning saying, okay, I'm going to be holy today. Can't do it. In Romans chapter 7, when we looked at that, Paul made a couple points. First of all, before his conversion, he said basically he could not keep the law. Couldn't do it. It's impossible. He wanted to keep it, and at times he, he thought he had kept it, But he actually couldn't do it. He declared himself an impotent sinner. Secondly, even after his conversion, he found that he was unable to keep the law of God by himself. That he was torn. He describes his struggle toward the end of the chapter there. When he says, I wanted to do what he wanted to do, he couldn't do. And what he didn't want to do, that's what he ended up doing. Well, that leads to two conclusions. First of all, If we cannot live a holy life apart from the Holy Spirit, then we must keep close to God in Bible study and fellowship where God can speak to our hearts, where God can speak to our hearts through prayer. We must seek. We must set our desire on seeking God's blessing. And secondly, you have to work at this relationship. This doesn't just happen automatically. All the way back in Romans 6, Paul said, We need to count yourself dead to sin and alive to God 
in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let any sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer your part, your body to him as instruments of righteousness. He doesn't mention the Holy Spirit specifically there in chapter 6, but we learn in chapter 8, it's not going to happen without the Spirit's input in your life because he's indwelling you. And the fourth thing here about holiness is that it's mandatory. This isn't something that's optional for the Christian. Somebody once asked me, do you think discipleship is necessary? Do you think being a Christian requires you to be a disciple? What they're asking is, can I be a Christian and do whatever I want? (laughs) A disciple is somebody who follows somebody, follows the teachings of somebody, who follows the lifestyle of somebody. Is discipleship necessary in order to have a full and, and happy Christian life? Is discipleship necessary for the one to be a true Christian? Can a person be saved without discipleship? I would say, yes, it is necessary. Not only is it necessary, it's mandatory to follow Christ to be a Christian. And yet we have, quote, Christian teachers today that say, well, whether you follow Christ or Buddha or whoever, it's okay. It's all going to wash out in the end. We just need to be respectful of everybody's views and When we say that holiness is mandatory, we don't mean that it is merely good to be holy. (laughs) And we certainly do not mean that we can be perfect or even reach a point where we're no longer in danger of sinning. We mean basically you have to be on the right path. You have to be walking according to the Spirit of God. If you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, that's exactly what Christians do. In some recent polling, Pew polls, people in churches, one poll said this, 57% of evangelical church attenders believe many religions can lead to eternal life. These are evangelical churches. Other surveys show this, 9% of teens, that's 9, and 32% of adults who claim to be born-again Christians believe in moral absolutes. That's kind of scary. That means over 90% of teens who claim to be born again don't believe in moral absolutes. And two-thirds of those who are born again don't believe in moral absolutes. We see this in our society. And I think it's a basic misunderstanding of the gospel. We've wrongly assumed in the church that somehow when someone makes a decision to accept Jesus as Savior, or maybe they pray a prayer and they invite Jesus into their heart, or they raise a hand during an evangelistic meeting, somehow we wrongly think that someone can accept Jesus as his Savior but not yield to him as his Lord. Or we mistakenly assume that just because somebody professes Jesus as Lord, they must be. As a youth pastor, I used to deal with young people all the time. A lot of times it was females, girls. And they'd say, I got this new boyfriend. I'd say, was he a Christian? Because they were a Christian. Well, yeah, yeah. That didn't sound too sure. (laughs) What do you mean, yeah, yeah, yeah? Well, he he says he is. He must be really cute. (laughs) That was my answer. What do you mean by that? Because you don't sound too sure he's even a Christian. You're willing to throw all that away. And 
get involved with somebody who's not a believer when the Bible clearly says don't do it. See, just because someone says they're a believer doesn't make them a believer. Jesus made it very clear. Only, you know, look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. This is, is so clear. I mean, it's hard to miss it here. Matthew chapter 7. Look at verses 21. Jesus basically is saying here, only those who obey him can expect to be welcomed into heaven. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says, this is Jesus speaking, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does, what? The will of my Father who is in heaven. It's conditional. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That sounds like a pretty good thing. Didn't we cast out demons in your name? That sounds like even a better thing. And didn't we do many mighty works in your name? Now notice, they're doing it in Jesus' name. Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice he doesn't say, aren't you the guy? Oh, that's right. I kind of remember. No, he says, I never, ever knew you. No relationship at all. And yet, they're out doing stuff in Jesus' name. Surprisingly, our churches are filled with people like this. It's sad. I think it's a nightmare of every pastor, of every person who teaches the Bible, to realize that there are people in your church that think they're saved when they're not. And they think all the ministry they're involved in, all the good things they're doing, are somehow going to get them through the gates of heaven. And one day they're going to stand before Jesus and they're going to say, wait a minute, didn't, I was teaching Sunday school. I was this. I was an elder. I was a pastor. I was the treasurer. I was helped out in the kitchen. I, I sacrificed. I gave to the church. I did it. Sorry, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And he continues on this path here in Matthew. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the waters came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. Look at what it says. But it did not, what? Fall. Why didn't it fall? Because it had been founded on the rock. It had a foundation upon which to stand. There's a lot of people that are in the church today that think they're believers and they're trying to build this Christian life and they've learned the language and they've learned even how to do ministry. And yet there's no foundation for their salvation. They're not saved. They're deceived. He says in verse 26 there, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. My granddaughter and I were building a sand castle one day at the beach in Hawaii. And I thought of this. Because as we got bigger and bigger, we were getting kind of excited. Well, then all of a sudden, the tides started coming in and the waves started coming in. And even though the waves weren't even hitting the sandcastle, it was eroding the foundation of the sandcastle. And pretty soon, it was just a pile of mud. It says in verse 27, when the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. Look at what it says. And great was the fall of it. Why? Because they thought it was okay. They thought, you know what? Hey, I'm doing all this stuff for Christ. I'm sacrifices. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm sure that in the end, it's all going to work out. 
Not a good place to be in, beloved. The Bible says that we should make sure of our calling. That we should go to God and, and, and really, really make sure that he's going to work in our heart and our lives. That we should see some form of sanctification in our lives going on on a continuous basis. Hey, we all have dry moments. We all, you know, get in the valley and it's kind of dry spiritually and whatever. Depression, whatever it might be. But you know what? We're still on the path and we still know that God is at work. And we still know that he is doing a work in our hearts. And we know that we can't live in sin in a complacent manner. We know we have to confess it. We know we have to move on. There's a lot of people in our churches today trying to live a holy life, and they have no means to do it because they don't have the very source of holiness, the Holy Spirit within them, because they're trusting in some past aisle they walked or hand they raised calling themselves a believer and they've struggled with sin ever since that point but they've learned Christianity well enough to kind of fit in with everybody they know when you're at church you probably shouldn't cuss you probably shouldn't smoke you probably shouldn't do other things that are inappropriate but you know once you leave well then you can do whatever you want make your election sure Jesus said very clearly if you love me you'll do the things that I ask you to do And so he concludes here in verse 4 of Romans 8. He says the law would be fulfilled in us. And you know what? What characterizes us? What characterizes a Christian? That we do not walk according to the flesh. But we walk according to the Spirit. That means there's an element of holiness in our lives. That means that somehow when the world looks at us, we're a little different. Maybe a little peculiar. When we state something that's just basic truth in a world that's lost and dying and going to hell. It's kind of like someone, have you ever been in a very, very, very dark place for a period of time and someone comes in and turns a light on or shines a light in your face and you go, whoa, can't handle it. That's what happens today in our world when we speak what we know to be true. It's common sense. And yet it's so shocking to a world that's caught in darkness That they think it's like you just cussed them out. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Everything is backwards. But that's okay because, you know what? God is still on our side. And we're not to walk according to the flesh. We're walk according to the Spirit. I want to ask you today, what is your mind set on? What are you focused on? Where do you spend the majority of your time? I pray that somehow... a portion of your time every day is carved out in this book. That you're spending time with God. That you're spending time with God's people. Trust me, beloved, it is not going to get easier. It will not get easier. And I think really what's going on in our society is God stepping in and he's going to cleanse his church. And when it gets tough to meet here on Sundays because of whatever might happen happens, you know what? We're going to see people not show up. God is going to separate the true church from that which is false. It's coming, mark my words. And so it's very important that you understand what your state is, where you are. Next week, we're going to look at these two people that the Bible talks about. And there's only two people. There's only two classes of people according to God. There's those who know Christ and those who do not. Those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. And I would ask you this morning, 
What camp are you in? Because if you're living your life according to the flesh, outside of Christ, it tells us right in our text, that is going to equal death. Eternity. All eternity in hell forever. Eternal torment. This isn't a place you go and party with your friends and, you know, oh, it's going to be over in a couple hours anyway. My body's just going to burn up. No. The Bible speaks of it as eternity. We all have eternal life. It's just a matter of where you're going to spend it. With God in heaven, through the forgiveness of Christ, or in hell, in a godless eternity. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to help us to walk circumspectly in this world in which we live. Lord, that people would not misunderstand the truth for us trying to give people offense on purpose, but, Lord, that that we would continue to uh, preach the word of God, the truth of the word of God, that it would have an impact on people's hearts and lives. Father, that we wouldn't do it in our own power, we would do it in the power of the Spirit of God. And, Lord, as we live our lives on a daily basis, I pray that somehow that we would understand that we need to become more like you each and every day. This isn't something that happens at salvation and then it ceases and we get to do whatever we want because our sins have been paid for. The Bible very clearly tells us that if we love your son, that we will continue to do, we'll continue to walk in the works of Christ. And so, Father, we pray this morning for each heart that's represented here. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who is yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I pray, Lord, that you would cause them to to cry out to you, to show them their sinfulness, to show them their need of a Savior. And you're the only Savior they have. You're, You're the only Savior that works. They can try all kinds of different religions. They can try all kinds of different things. Jesus said very clearly, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He who comes to the Father through me, there's no other way. You have to. And you made it pretty easy. You, you, you took the burden of sin for us. You paid the price of sin for us. You're not asking us to pay it again. You've already paid it. We need to simply put our hand out, trust you, put our faith, our trust in you, become a follower of Christ, and that burden will be lifted. And we can walk in newness of life, being transformed into a new creature in Christ. That old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God knows you best. He's not going to lead you down a path and then do a bait and switch at the end. That's not the God we serve. This is real. And for us Christians, I pray that you would cause us to be mindful of the fact that we live in a world that's hostile against the truth, against the things of God. And so we shouldn't be surprised when, when people oppose us. But I pray that that would not silence us, that we would not grow faint and weary and well-doing, but Lord, that we would even be bolder, be emboldened by what's going on in our world. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. 
And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. GracefulTruth.org is where to go. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app, new and improved and ready to use, whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church Redwood City-CA. Or stop by our website, GracefulTruth.org, and follow the prompts. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.